Lord's Supper at the end of the message this morning. And uh, the title of my message is The Wedding of the Lamb. I want you to turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 19. We're coming down to the last several studies of, uh, 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 of this about six-month study in the book of Revelation called Storm Warnings. And we've been focusing on the build-up to the return of Jesus. Starting in chapter 19 of Revelation to the end of the book, uh, the entire message is the return of Jesus. And it's shown to us in several different uh, uh, images. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of those images, the wedding of the Lamb. And we're going to look at the first half of chapter 19. We'll get to the second half of chapter 19 next time. Uh, I was going to do this all in one sermon, and I decided, nah, I want to divide it into two. And so this week, we're going to talk about the wedding of the Lamb, and next week, we're going to come back on the, uh, on the, uh, on the back side of chapter 19. I say all that to say this. Jesus is going to return someday, and I believe very, very soon. Now, one of the things that I notice among disciples today is that we're a whole lot more about preparing to live our lives tomorrow than we are about preparing to live our lives for eternity. But the truth of the matter is everybody's going to spend their eternity someplace, in heaven or hell. And our responsibility as disciples of Jesus is to learn how not only we can get to heaven, but also how we can help our friends or relatives get to heaven as well. Because even though the predominant thought is today is that the default location of everybody after they die is going to be heaven because God is loving and kind, that's not what we see in Scripture at all. And the Bible says that broad is the way and wide is the gate that lives, leads to hell. But narrow is the gate and, and hard is the way that leads uh, to heaven. And so I want you to be eternity focused as a disciple of Jesus Christ because your kids will not make it to heaven without you working hard to get it there. They're going to follow Satan and all their friends. We're going to talk about that in the next series as we get into Proverbs next. But I want you to understand that your responsibility, your responsibility for you and your family is to make sure that they have an eternity focus, a heaven focus, because if they're not focused on heaven, they're going to wind up in hell. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? And so that's the reason for this uh, study of, uh, of, of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, the wedding of the Lamb. Now I want to give you this before I read the section. I just want you to notice this. There's a word that is used in Revelation chapter 19, the first seven or eight verses. It's used four times, and it's the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. Used four times, it means praise the Lord. The word is uh, hallelujah, uh, hallelujah, and it's used four times in this section of Scripture, the only place in the New Testament and that's kind of, that it's used, and that's kind of significant. Let's read together Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. It says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, that's the first one. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute that we read about last week, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Those are the martyrs for Jesus Christ. By the way, did uh, you hear on the news this morning two tremendous uh, terrorist attacks today? One 
Nigeria, am I right on that, at a shopping mall in Nigeria? Uh, and, and there was a lot of news about that, and I didn't really watch the news, but it was kind of on uh, as I was going through uh, my last-minute preparation home before I left, getting ready. But there was also, did you read about uh, the church in India? What was it today, a bombing in church in India? Anybody see that this morning? I believe 50 uh, brothers and sisters in Christ were killed this morning because they were worshiping this morning uh, in the nation of India. Watch that, watch that. Uh, I found it very interesting that one got a lot of news, the other got hardly, just hardly mentioned, okay? Uh, so just, just notice that. That's who these folks are. Verse 3. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke comes uh, from her goes up forever and ever. And 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. That's number three. Then a, a voice came from uh, the throne, Praise God, our Father, uh, I'm sorry, praise our God, all who, all you, his servants, who, uh, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, number four, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. This is why I wanted to read this section. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was giving her, given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. I'd recommend you just put a bookmarker there in this section of Scripture because we're going to be looking at a number of different passages of Scripture today and coming back to this section from time to time. You know, weddings today are big, big business. They are massive. I, I read the other day that the average wedding costs about $26,000. Uh, and I've done a lot of weddings, and I know that that's pretty much right on target by the time you add the rings and the wedding gowns and the flowers and, and all the reception and all that sort of thing. Uh, it, is a, it is a massive expenditure. I will do between 8 and 10 uh, weddings a year. And, uh, man, I know that hours of planning and preparation go into that one event. Now, I tell couples right up front that a wedding service ceremony is not very long. I, I can do a whole wedding unless they add something to it. You know, scripture reading or they want to do communion or lighting candle. It takes about six or seven minutes for a wedding. Uh, that's it. That's all there is. That's an amazing amount of money. Eric, don't you say 26 grand uh, for a six-minute time? I mean, that's a lot of money. The truth of the matter is a whole lot more money is spent on the reception probably uh, than it is on the wedding itself. I have a friend of mine uh, that uh, has a friend. He, he's just starting a business of doing weddings. As a matter of fact, he's paid for his uh, youngest daughter, uh, oldest daughter, to go through college uh, totally by the weddings that he does on a weekend. Now, the reason he's doing it is because he has a friend that that's all he does. His job is to do weddings on the weekend. I'm thinking, why couldn't I get that gig? Man? He does about 170 a year. You do the math, that's about three a, uh, three a weekend, all right? My thought is, I don't want to give up every Saturday to do weddings, but that's his job, that's what he does. Weddings are huge business. I would say that a whole lot more uh, money and time and effort and thought is spent on the wedding than it is on the marriage. And maybe that's why most marriages don't last. 
And that's why uh, we have such an odd concept of what weddings and marriage is all about here in our country. Now, for the eternity-focused disciple of Jesus Christ, there is a wedding that we ought to focus on as well. It's not our wedding. It's not the wedding of our kids or our grandkids, but it is the wedding between the bride of Jesus Christ, the church, and the groom, that is Jesus. Read what it says here in verse 7 and 8. He says, uh, actually verse 6, he says, Hallelujah, for uh, the Lord God uh, Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself uh, ready for the wedding. There are three things I want to talk to you about this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the wedding itself. He talks about in verse 7 about the wedding. And I want to talk about the wedding in the Bible uh, this morning and, and this wedding of the bride uh, and the groom, the church and, uh, and, and Jesus Christ. Now, the marriage relationship runs throughout the Bible. God thought of us getting married. It wasn't an idea that Adam and Eve came up with or somebody else came up with, but God himself came up with this idea of people getting married. How do I know that? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and, they will, be uh, and will be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Folks, I want to tell you, the only way that there is no shame in the relationship that he's talking about, the intimacy that he's talking about here is under the concept of God-given marriage. Can I get an amen on that? Man, our world is saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. We're going to live together, we're going to do whatever we want to do, and we want to be happy. The issue is you'll never be happy outside the guidelines that God gives. Now, God also uses this marriage relationship as a description of his relationship with his people. Jot down a couple verses of scripture. Isaiah 54 verse 5 talks about this. It says there, your maker, that's God, is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Write down Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 through 32. Uh, the scripture says there, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know, it's not surprising that God would use the wedding as the image to describe the eternal relationship between Christ, the groom, and the church, his bride in heaven. Now, there are three parts to any uh, wedding uh, that we find in, during Bible times. I just want to give them to you, and I want to talk about how those three parts of every single wedding uh, uh, connect with uh, God's relationship with us through Jesus Christ. The first part of every uh, Bible time wedding uh, was called the engagement. Just write down if you want to, the engagement. Now, the engagement was the legally binding relationship, uh, uh, arrangement between two families, and it could only be dissolved formally. Now, today's time, we get, uh, uh, you know, we get engaged with somebody, it's getting a ring, would you like to marry me? And if we decide that we don't want to get married, let me take the ring back. And that kind of ends the relationship, but not in Bible times. There was a, a legal contract written up between the parents of the bride, the parents of the groom, and it could only be dissolved in a formal way. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, when Joseph found out that his bride-to-be, Mary, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit? You remember what it says there? It says Joseph was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose 
uh, Mary to public disgrace. Because, you see, to, to end the, the engagement relationship meant there would be a public trial, or at least a public hearing, and everyone should have known that Mary was pregnant and Joseph wasn't the father, he had nothing to do with it, and she should be brought to public disgrace in the small village that they lived in. However, Joseph was a religious man, and he decided not to do that. Now, the question is, when does that legally binding relationship of engagement happen between Christ and a person? Let's go away from here for just a moment. Put a bookmarker here. We'll come back after a while. I don't want you to go with me to the Gospel of John, the third chapter. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. You can find it in your Bible. Keep going back. Uh, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke. John's the fourth book. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is talking to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He, he is a member of, of the Jewish, uh, 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 Jewish uh, council. And Nicodemus, because he was concerned uh, that everybody else would think ill of him, comes to Jesus at night. And he wants to know, how can I have a personal relationship with you? Jesus replies in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now that's significant because Jesus says being part of the kingdom of God is not about having your name on a church roll somewhere. It's not about how many times you come to church. Not even about how many times you've read through the Bible. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is about being born again. Now, I want to shoot straight with you this morning because I know that there are a lot of people that come to church every single Sunday morning, a lot of people that might even have their names on this church roll. If I ask you plainly and clearly, have you ever been born again? I know there are people right here sitting here this morning that say, Preacher, I don't know. I don't know. And folks, I want to tell you, I want to talk to you about that after the service this morning because this is so essential for you. Because if you don't know whether or not you've been born again, the wedding is not for you. So let's talk about that after the service this morning. Number two, first is the engagement. The second is the processional. The processional. This is how it worked in New Testament times. Uh, weddings were a cool, cool involvement in New Testament times, and this is how it ha would happen. The groom, with his groomsman, would come to the bride's house. And, you know, as I say, they lived in a small village. He would walk to the bride's house and, and would be met there by the bridesmaids outside, and they would each be holding a torch. And at nighttime, uh, they would wander back through all the villages, through the village, making sure they hit every street, or if it was a big city, every neighborhood. And there would be singing and dancing and instruments, and they'd go up and down the streets, every street, the, the groom leading his bride, soon-to-be bride, uh, back to his house home. Now let me ask you the question. Why do you think they did that? Small village. I'm going to get married to my wife. She just came in there a few minutes ago and this is back a lot of years ago but what I would do, I would go to her house and we're walking up and down every street in Salem. There'd be celebration, dancing, tambourine, singing. Now why would I do that? There's one reason. 
I would want everybody in our village to know that I was getting hitched tonight, all right? And that Carol was going to be my bride, and I was going to be her groom, and make no mistake about it, the announcement would come as we would move up and down the village streets, and everybody would hear. Does that make sense to y'all? Does that kind of resonate with you, okay? Now, the question is, when does that take place between Jesus and his bride? When is the processional? When do we get to the wedding? Well, I want to give you two passages of Scripture. I want you to go to both of them. You're in John. Go to the right to the very next book, the Gospel, I'm sorry, the book of Acts. And in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, there's an incredible statement about when Jesus uh, goes into heaven the first time. And I want you to notice what it says here. Uh, this, this is all about the processional, all right? It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 down to verse 11. It says, after Jesus said this, and by the way, he's giving the great commission there in verse 7 through 9. He says, after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid, them, uh, hid him from their sight. Before I go on, i got to ask, ask this question. Do you really believe that Jesus ascended into heaven? I, I need to get, yeah, I believe that or not, all right? Uh, you, you believe that, all right? And that a cloud hid Jesus from the sight of the disciples. I, I, I need to know. I believe that with all my heart, and I just kind of want to know where y'all are this morning, all right? Uh, Jesus was ascended into heaven. And the disciples were standing there staring up at the clouds, and this is what they heard, verse 11. Men of Galilee, the angel said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in exactly the same way you've seen him go into heaven. I've got to just ask you this question. Do you really believe that one day Jesus is going to descend on the, on the clouds and come back? Do you really believe that? Really? When was the last time you woke up one morning and said, bag on it, today would be a great day? That's been my thought all morning. Lord, this would be a great day. It's Sunday. What a great day for you to return. Now, let's read one other passage of Scripture that talks about uh, this uh, processional, and that's what I'm talking about here. Go with me to the right. Uh, find the little book of 1 Thessalonians, all right? Find the book of 1 Thessalonians. Go on past Romans, 1 2 Corinthians. Uh, you'll go past uh, Ephesians, Galatians. Maybe you'll see those. Uh, you're eventually going to come to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For every single funeral that I do for a believer, somebody that knows Jesus as Savior, when I'm out at the cemetery and uh, we're uh, just ready for the committal service, I read this passage of Scripture. There's a reason for that, because it talks about the procession that Jesus will lead into heaven. Watch what it says. He says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, who died, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Verse 14. Uh, this is chapter 4, verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, uh, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage each other with these words. 
You know, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I've written these words to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. I was discussing that passage of Scripture with a gentleman one time. As a matter of fact, I had used it in a sermon uh, just, I think, the previous Sunday, and I said, you know, the Bible says you ought to know that you have eternal life. And, and he uh, said, Neil, I need you to come by and talk with me today. And I went by. This guy's long uh, since gone home to be with the Lord. And then he said, I don't believe anybody can know that they're going to heaven. I said, well, then you're saying that John's a liar. Uh, you're saying the Holy Spirit's a liar because that's exactly what he says. Friends, I... Let's just shoot straight. It's just you and me sitting here today, okay? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? If today were the day when Jesus Christ returns, would you know where you're going to spend eternity? Now, if you don't, and the question is, I'm not sure. That's not the question. And I ask you, do you think, are you hoping, do you know? The issue is, at the end of the service, I'm going to be down here at the front as long as it takes, and if you want to talk about being sure about where you're going to spend eternity, I want to talk to you. Because if you don't know that, friends, all the rest of this stuff is a bunch of junk, okay? Being a Christian is not about learning how to live your life better down here. It's about knowing where you're going to spend eternity, okay? So I'd love to talk with you. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many years you've been a member of this church. I don't care whether you're elder or deacon or preacher or whoever. And if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, we need to talk, okay? And we can do that. I'll set up an appointment with you. We'll sit down together over a cup of coffee at Starbucks, wherever, and we'll talk about this issue. It's that important. The third thing, we've seen the engagement, we've seen the, prog- uh, the procession. The third thing was the ceremony and the banquet. Now, remember, we said the groom would go to the house and get his bride. They'd wander through the streets. They were singing, dancing, uh, you know, the tambourines. Bridesmen, the torches were following to be at nighttime, and they would show up at the door of the groom's father's house. This is where the wedding ceremony would take place. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't in a venue. I'm sure a lot of people are saying, how come we can't do that today? I would have saved 10 grand on the place my daughter's going to get married, you know, and that, that's just kind of price these days as crazy it can be uh, but it would come at the door and the contract legal another contract would be signed the the bride the groom would sign it his parents would sign it uh, the bride would sign it and and the bride's family would sign it and it would be witnessed by some carefully chosen individuals after they had signed the contract at the door seven blessings would be uh, pronounced by friends neighbors uh, over the couple and then the groom would formally introduce uh, his bride to her new house. And this is crazy. I would do. Up until this point, and this is the way the story goes, up until this point, she was kind of hanging on to, his wife, to, to her mama, all right? Her mama uh, either holding her arm around or something like that. And at this, this is the way it happened. At this time, in Bible times, the groom would go over and take the bride out of her mama's arms, all right? And he would take the bride into her arms. And he would introduce her to her new house. Now think about this. She's in her, y'all don't have to think too far. He, she's in his arms. He's going to introduce her to her new house. What do you suppose happened next? They stepped across the threshold, all right? Now, you don't have to think too deep about this, all right? And that's where that came from. Isn't that kind of a cool concept? And she would come in. 
and there would be celebration and dancing and feasting. And sometimes it would go on six, seven days, depending on how wealthy the family was. I always found it very, very uh, uh, mind-boggling that Jesus chose out of all the uh, miracles that he could have done first. You remember which one he did first? He changed water into wine. Now, I grew up in a church that were, I mean, teetotaling as far as it was in public. You know, I, I knew there was a lot of uh, non-teetotalers in private, but I always heard, well, it wasn't real wine, it was grape juice. You know, I studied the word one time. You know what it was, Ron? It was wine, all right? Jesus, as a matter of fact, it was the best wine they had, and they had already drunk all they had, and Jesus made even more wine. I'm thinking... I don't understand that. Well, I'm glad at least they didn't have to drive home. You know, that, at least that, that, that's one part. But there was celebration and there was excitement. But there was something that took place as the groom stepped across the threshold that was critical. Now, I want you to take your Bible, uh, and I want you to go two passages of Scripture. Go back to Matthew. Matthew, I know I'm having you look at a lot of passages of Scripture, but I want to teach you what the Bible has to say about the marriage. Lamb. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Matthew's first book of the, uh, of the Bible. We're going to go back to Revelation 3 here in just a second. I, I want to put together two uh, verses of Scripture, actually three verses of Scripture, I guess. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 and 33. This is where Jesus sends out the 12, uh, and he says, I want you to be evangelists for me, and watch what he says. Verse, uh, we're, we're verse 32, right? Yeah. Whoever, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me, that's a key word, I've got it underlined. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. I have written in the margin of my Bible, Revelation 3, 5, because I want to remember this verse of Scripture. Go to Revelation 3, 5. Revelate, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. And I want you to read very, very carefully what Jesus says he will do for everyone who remains faithful to the end. Revelation chapter 3, last book of the Bible, and verse 5. And in this section of Scripture, I have Matthew 10, 32 written in my margin because I remember this reference. It says in uh, verse, uh, verse 5, the person who overcomes, like them, uh, 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 will be dressed in white. And this is what I want you to see. And I will never blot his name from the book of life. We talked about that last week. But I will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. The word acknowledge means to, to announce. How many of you ever been to a wedding? And at the end of the wedding, uh, the minister, you know, everything's done. And uh, you, know, you know the most embarrassing part of the wedding for me? I, it's always. I'm saying, what are they going to do now? You make it right. And I think... Please, we're in public, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and, and nice short kiss. But you remember what happens after the kiss? It's always, I've done a, a gazillion weddings. What happens after the kiss? They turn, they face the audience, and the preacher says, I have uh, the opportunity to introduce to you for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. Neil Wheeler or, or whoever. You remember that? And everybody cheers, yay! And they walk, the music starts, and they go down the aisle. That's the word here. You stay faithful to me. You acknowledge me. You announce me before men. There's going to come a day when I announce you 
or for my Father and his angels. Can, can you get this picture? The marriage of the Lamb. You've lived a faithful life. You've gone home to be with the Lord or Jesus returns and we're all there together. Do you get the image? Jesus standing, holding you in his arms, just about to step over the threshold into heaven. And he says, Father, this is another one of my children. This is Neil. This is Paul. This is Jonathan. You, you understand? This is one of my children. Lord, I'm so proud of him. And, and, and they've lived a solid life. They've accepted me as Savior of their life. And I want to announce that they're here in heaven one day. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this question. Just, just you and me. Today's the day that you're going to die or today's the day that Jesus is going to return home, uh, return and, and take his bride, the church, home. Will Jesus announce you before the Father as one of his own? Or will he say, I never knew him? Yeah, they were in church a lot. Yeah, they did a lot of good stuff. But I never knew him as one of my own. Folks, this is so important that after the service, I'd love to talk to you about uh, that very issue. Well, there's something else I want to talk to you about today, and, and that's the preparation. I love here in this section of Scripture uh, where it talks about the preparation. Back in Revelation chapter 19, you can turn or not, it says, The wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The Bible, in Bible times, the bride would prepare herself for the wedding by a, a special bathing where her bridesmaids and her mom would be there and they would bathe her. Uh, they would anoint her with oil and perfumes. They would put linen cloth, uh, clothes on her and she would prepare. Now how uh, do you and I, the bride of Christ, prepare for our wedding with Jesus? It says in verse 7 uh, that uh, they made herself ready and fine linen, uh, clean, uh, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now it sounds like we get ourselves ready by doing a lot of good stuff. That, doesn't that is what it sounds like? You get yourself ready by doing a lot of good stuff, and those righteous acts become the clothing that you wear. Now, the garment in Scripture is always a symbol of righteousness, and the question is, can I do enough good stuff in my life to get myself ready uh, for that time? We don't, I don't want to take the time to read these sections of Scripture. I just want you to write them down and read them for yourself on your own. I think it'll drive the point home to you much clearer. Write down, if you would, Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 64, write it down and verse 6. It says there, all of our righteous uh, acts are what? Do you remember? Are just like filthy rags, all right? Just like filthy rags. So in other words, we can do all the good things we want to, and God says, that's a bunch of junk. And my, write down Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. Isaiah 61 and verse 10, because there it says that God clothes us with his righteousness. Now how does that happen? I want to share with you kind of a, a, a salvation math uh, equation. Now, for those of you that know me well, know that math is not my forte, all right? It's just not. So I had to make this really, really simple so I would get it, all right? Now, let's just say, this: uh, each one of us, uh, we get before God the judge one day, and he wants to add up all 
all the bad things that we have done. All right? And I just arbitrarily came up with a number. And say we're standing before God one day, and he adds up all the bad things that we've done, and they all amount to 10,000 points. All right? Now, I realize that's probably way low for some of us. You know, it'll be a gazillion points, but just bear with me on this. 10,000 points, all right? And so what we say, uh, God, I've done a lot of good stuff. I mean, I, 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 I stopped cussing. I stopped drinking. I didn't beat my wife anymore. I even started volunteering in the children's ministry at church. You know, I've done all sorts of good things, God. Uh, you know, and I think that ought to amount to something. And you know what God says? You're right. It does amount to something. One point. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but let's do the math here. 10,000 points minus one point equals what? Now, does the equation even itself out? And the answer is no. And folks, the issue is no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try, we will never, never, never be prepared. It's only, only through the blood of Jesus Christ that our sins can be forgiven. However, that doesn't mean we do nothing. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse uh, 10 and following says that because of God's grace, we have been saved to do good works. Now here at Chester Christian Church, we've defined being a disciple of Jesus based on Mark 1 chapter 7, uh, verse 17. As uh, uh, there Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We've talked about the fact that you've heard this, you'll hear a whole lot more that a person follows Jesus in his head, they're changed by Jesus in their heart, and they're fishing for Jesus with their hands. We'll talk about that. And the question is, how do those uh, things show our love to Jesus in those areas? Let me get to you this way. To be able to follow Jesus and express our love to him through our head, it means taking time to be with the one that we say we love the most. You remember when you were dating? You spent so much time with your soon-to-be spouse, husband, or wife. You remember those times? Man, you'd call and you'd talk. You'd send cards. Uh, you'd do all kinds of crazy things for them. Why? Because you just wanted to be with them. I was sitting, uh, I was doing spiritual retreat day uh, on Friday, and I was sitting at a coffee shop down Williamsburg uh, doing Bible reading in the, in the book of Mark, and a couple came and sat just uh, beyond me, and, uh, and I noticed something about them. I, I noticed they came over, they sat down, they never spoke a word. All right, you could tell they were married. I guess they were married. To each. Well, you could tell they were married to each other. They had, both had wedding ring, rings on, and they never said a word. You know, uh, if they were with somebody and married somebody else, I have a feeling they'd be all over each other. You know what I'm talking about? But he had his telephone plugged in, into his ear, and this is what he would do. He would uh, take about two bites. I guess the phone went off, and he would get up, grab his phone, and he and talk about some important business thing. I guess going on. He'd come back. He'd sit back down. He'd get back up and he'd go do it again. He couldn't sit back down. He'd get back up and he'd go do it again. And I began looking at this poor lady, very attractive woman. And the longer she sat there, the madder she was getting. And I wouldn't walk over and say, honey, I don't blame you. If you want to hold him, I'll whack him. You know? I, you know it, it. Let me ask you this question. With the time that you spend with God in his word and in prayer, does he know that his son means everything to you? Or are you just blowing him off just like that couple? 
There ought to be a change in your heart. I'm fascinated uh, by the words of Jesus uh, in the book of Mark, and I was reading the book of Mark the other day preparing for sermons for next year in Mark. I was noticing the number of times that Jesus talked about stubborn or hard hearts. And my question for you and me this morning is, is your heart harder or softer these days? The prayer that I pray more than any other prayer is, Lord, would you please give me a soft heart? Give me a soft heart. How long has it been since you've prayed that prayer? And is your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ becoming softer these days or harder these days? Your head, your heart, your hands. Our hands ought to express our love uh, for uh, the Lord Jesus as well. And that happens by the way we treat and talk about our bride, Jesus Christ. You know, the way I talk about my wife, the way I treat my wife in public says everything not only to her, but to people around her. I will get on my wife every now and then for opening the car door. Because that's my job, folks. We're in our driveway or we're in a parking lot, and I will run. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing that I have the door clicker in my pocket, you know, because I have learned that if I unlock the door too soon, she'll reach for the door handle. So I wait till I get there, click the door, and open. Now, why do I do that for Carol? I want her to know that she's the most special person in the world to me. But you know, there's an ulterior motive as well. I want to get brownie points with the, you know, the ladies in the parking lot around me that look at their husband and say, I wish you'd be like that guy, you big jerk, you know, or whatever, you know. I, I really do. Why do I do that? Why do I talk positively about my wife? Why do I never put her down in public or anywhere? Why do I always talk about her as if she's the most special person in the world to me? You know why? Because she is. Let me ask you this question. The way you've talked about Jesus or not talked about Jesus this last week, does anybody know that you're madly in love with Jesus or not? And more importantly, does Jesus know? Let me tell you why. I, and this is the reason. Go ahead to the last slide there, ladies. Uh, this is the reason why I've given this to you. We're going to go to the Lord's table this morning. By the way, remember, wedding banquet, Lord's table, another banquet. I'll make the connection for you here in a second. I want you to go back to the first book of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 25, and I want to tell you why I've talked about all of this this morning. Uh, the band's going to come. Guys, if you're uh, doing the Lord's Supper, go ahead and get ready. Matthew 25, let's read this one parable. Matthew 25 and verse 1 to 13, and I'm going to be done this morning. It says this, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were foolish and five were wise. And the foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. And the wise ones took their oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry uh, rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No. They replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way the, uh, to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins were, uh, who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day 
or the hour. Folks, the Lord's Supper is just a time to remind us of who our bridegroom is. That's Jesus Christ. And this morning as we gather together around the Lord's table, I just uh, ask that you would just reflect upon the wedding banquet and in your mind, would you allow your mind just to go back to the day you accepted Jesus as Savior of your life, were born again, and commune with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Guys, come and let's receive the Lord's Supper. Go ahead and re receive the bread and the cup as it's passed this morning.